I'm Amy. And I'm Nathan. And this is Amy and Nathan Do a Podcast. A limited series podcast where we'll explain how you can meaningfully engage in local and state politics. Welcome to part two of Running for Office. In the previous episode, we gave you the basics to get your name on the ballot and reaching out and connecting with your local political parties to help you launch your campaign. And in part two, we're going to go into more details about what's needed at each level of public office that you're running for. And we should mention, we did fail to mention in the last episode, judges. Judges are also considered more on the local side of things. So all those states that we gave you, which are in the show notes, would also apply if you wanted to run for a judge or another judicial role that's on the ballot. So part two, Nathan, you've run several different campaigns, city council to state senate here in Tennessee. So let's start down at city council, county commission, and school board. What are some campaign tools or campaign materials that they might need to start looking into after they've done the reaching out to their local party and getting that baseline connected and just getting their petition signed? After you've gotten all of the formalities taken care of, got your treasurer and your tax ID number and you've opened your bank account and you're ready to move forward, then- Okay, let's go back. Well, obviously you've got to start raising money. Let's go back. So if you're running for any office, you need to have, you need to get a tax ID and a separate bank account number, and you should probably have a separate person as your treasurer, which is all on the forms that you get from the election commission. Yes. All that's in the forms. Although you don't actually have to have a separate person as a treasurer, you can be your own treasurer. So once you've got all that set up and you start, you know, raising funds, Then you're going to want to look at, you're going to have to discuss with your committee and figure out what your strategy is. And it wouldn't hurt to discuss with the county party and folks who've done it before. But when you're looking at getting your campaign stuff, it's branding and marketing. So you're going to want to get things that let people know you're running. So, you know, your Facebook page, you're going to want to allocate some money toward your marketing expenses for ads. You're going to want to get your yard signs. And those vary. The corrugated plastic yard signs that we're accustomed to, they're about $5 a piece. And then if you do the, they're called bag signs. You've seen them before. They're held up by this U-shaped stake and they're kind of those, was it polypropylene, I think it is. So they're bag ones. And those can be as cheap as like like a dollar ninety-five. Anyhow, those are some of the things you're going to do. You know, you're going to want to get some signs. You'll probably need some business cards and you're going to have to allocate money toward marketing. Okay. And that's city council, school board, alderman, county commission level. So what platforms Absolutely. can they use? Yeah. What platforms can they use to actually raise the money? Are there specific? I know there's Act Blue, but I also know that they can put, they get a a PO box for the campaign. That's something else anywhere they can have checks sent to. Yes. You know, traditionally Democrats use Act Blue. That's the online fundraising tool. It's a merchant services portal that allows campaigns to take credit cards. You can also take checks. And, you know, before you've gotten your Act Blue set up, or even if you decided not to, you could have people send checks to your PO box 
or whatever address or even pick them up. And I've seen campaigns take money through PayPal and even Venmo and Cash App, but the more convoluted you make your accounting process, the more work you're going to have to deal with later or your accountant or your treasurer or whomever is filing those financial disclosure forms. So I always recommend to people keep it simple. You know, you're going to want to take your act blue so you can do cards and then you're going to want to take checks, which a lot of folks will write. And then you can take cash up to $50 per cycle. That's it. But you can take cash from people. That's very important to know. So going back on- If anyone gives you more than a $50 bill, uh, you can't take it. Yeah. So we did give a rough estimate of budgets in the last episode. So let's just kind of refresh on maybe not the budget figure, but a little bit more on the campaign signs. One other thing, uh, postcards or mailers and door hangers. Do you necessarily need those at school board, county commission level? You know, that really depends, Amy. It depends on how competitive your race is, how much money you have raised. There are a ton of factors in there. I don't think anyone can get away without signs, period. Even though signs don't vote, you've got to have them. Mailers can get expensive. Postcards, those can also get expensive. They, you know, there's research that says they're helpful. There's research that says they're not exactly helpful. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that it really, again, it depends on your particular race and all the variables that are involved in it. I know that's not really answering the question, but it really does depend. Like in Sarah's campaign in 2020, that campaign did all the things, but it had to, to overcome, to overcome the obstacles of getting elected. You know, a school board race might not necessarily need to send out mailers because you're looking at, you know, you're looking at several thousand dollars up to $10,000, depending on the number of people you're sending to. So it can get expensive really quickly to send out professional mailers. Next question. How do you estimate how many people you're going to need either working or volunteering on your campaign at for county commission school board? What seems to be a good number or good range? On those, the best number to have is however many you can get to show up. But, you know, you're the candidate, so you're going to have to do a lot of the dirty work, especially on the lower levels. Your committee to elect or your kitchen cabinet or whatever you call them, you know, it's your group of core people who keep you honest and accountable. They're going to be helping you out. But I would say if you were running for council or commission, if you had three to five really solid core volunteers who would help you all the time, you could probably make do with that. And you're going to get some other people here and there who would help out. But three to five is reasonable, knowing that you're going to be doing a lot of the door knocking and phone calling yourself. And keeping in mind, depending on where we are, you know, with COVID numbers or if there's a new variant or whatever, campaigns can be run without having to knock doors, but it means a lot of time on telephones. So you're definitely going to need those three to five people helping you. So that would be canvassing by phone or text bank, you know, text messaging as well. Are those tools also available at that level? They are. So when a candidate is running and, you know, they are a Democrat, they can request access to Vote Builder. I believe the Republican program is called Nation Builder or something like that. Okay, that's uh, a frightening name. (laughs) With Vote Builder, 
candidates can pay for access to that through the TNDP. And when they get their access to it, and the price for buy-in varies depending on the office. So you're looking at anywhere from $250 up to, I think, state-level races are maybe like five grand. I haven't seen a new price sheet, but it can get significantly more expensive. Anyway, so you buy into that and it has phone banking built into it that you can set up. You'd have to have someone who knew how to use the program. And that's why also building that connection, like we mentioned last time with the county party is critical because there are a number of people in the county party who are trained and familiar with how to navigate that massive database and that warehousing system. So you don't have to pay for that. Now, if you want to do something like an auto dialer, if you've got massive amounts of calls to make, there's something called uh, through talk, or and they also have through text as well. And that's what we used with Dr. Jane George's state senate campaign last cycle. A lot of people hopped into that, but that program, you know, it can get a little bit more expensive. Yeah, we can talk about that when we get on to the state rep, state senate level of campaigning. So I and wouldn't recommend that program for a local level office. No, no, it's too expensive. And speaking of local level offices, local events, scheduling local events, I noticed a lot of, or at least with Councilwoman Heron's campaign, she did a lot of outreach on Facebook. So she used the Facebook event feature. And she did a lot of meet and greets at the public parks, which I thought was Those a are really good idea. Really good ideas. And right. also at good times for working people to actually meet her. Like when they were getting off work and they've already like picked up the kids from school so they could all go. They didn't have to worry about a sitter and it wasn't too late where they had to worry about not eating supper till eight o'clock at night too. It was like the perfect timing of, of a lot of her events. And that's an important thing to keep in mind when you're putting together events for a campaign. You have to look at your entire constituency. You've got to make it convenient for working folks, retirees, younger individuals, people on swing shifts. You've got to have stuff at all different times. That's why morning coffee meetups are good. Having people get together, doing a walk at the park, you know, walk and get to know the candidate. Evening gatherings, grab a beer with so-and-so, you know, varies like so that you can I wouldn't venture too far outside of your own personal interests, but, you know, go do things that you're interested in that would also appeal to other people so that you don't seem woefully disingenuous when you're doing it. Events like that, Facebook, you know, it's something we mentioned last time, you've got to have a Facebook page because that's where most people come to find a candidate. And it's also a great tool for making those events, which people will be able to share as well. Did I forget anything here? Forget to ask you anything about that phase of public office, that stage of public office, excuse me. No, you know, like the fundraising, it's a little little smaller. The, the campaign size is a little bit smaller. You probably won't have any employees. You might end up hiring a person or two along the way to do phone banking or even canvassing for you just to assist you, but there's not going to be a big spend on labor at all. And it's going to be mostly volunteer driven and, you know, your events are going to be a little smaller and something I really need to drive home for people. This is critically important to remember. If you're running for that county commission or school board or city council, or to be honest, if you're running for any level race, if one person shows up to your event, you have to consider that a success because you have no idea how many folks that person will talk to. So don't get disheartened if you have an event and one person shows up because you might find out a week later you have 10 people show up to something because that one person told them. So don't let it beat you down. It will, but it shouldn't 
because that's not what this is made of. Yes. So maintain that can-do attitude. Yeah, you have to. Because some of the, I, I mean, I've been part of those where one person showed up and you're just like, oh man. And then, you know, a week later you get a $1,500 check in the mail and they're like, oh, and they're like, my buddy said you were great. And you're like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. So you just don't know. So you have to keep that can-do attitude, as you said. And also, like you were saying about having different events at different times so you can get more people because you don't know what people in your community have going on in your life. And also, when you're running for a smaller, more local, I shouldn't say smaller, a local office, people tend either not to hear about it or not really, well, I don't need to show up to something like that. It's just, unfortunately, and yes, you do need to show up if you can to learn about your candidates and and meet them and get the vibe off them. That's what's so important about each of these people you meet along the way when you're out campaigning and you must always have either carry a tablet with you that has a spreadsheet you built out to capture people's contact information or just have a notebook or a notepad and have people, you know, write their name, address, phone number, and email so you can add them into your list so you can contact them. But these people that you're going to meet along the way, this is also how you grow your constituency is to ask those people if they'll have a house party or or garden party or whatever you want to call it, but that they'll invite people they know. So it's funny, it sounds like a pyramid scheme when you talk about it. No, it's called building community. It's called building community and building a movement. And so to build that movement, you have to lean into the people that you meet along the way. Because otherwise, you're going to have to spend a ton of money to do this otherwise. So getting the people you met along the way who are interested in your campaign to help you and uh, to introduce you to their friends is something you have to do. And also, I just want to remind everybody, government officials, I should say elected officials, are public servants. They are here to serve the public. Therefore, it would behoove them to meet as much of the public as possible if they're running for office and make those connections. It is because those days. are the people you're yeah. serving in, a, in an ideal world. I mean, I know we don't live in an ideal world, but the ideal world, that in my mind, is they serve the public. So meet the public, get to know the public. Sometimes the public's a, a lot scary and sometimes it's not. But mo- moving on. But they're on, people you would represent, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're people, they're all, you represent, once you're elected to office, you represent everyone in that district, including the people who didn't vote for you. And I I wish people in DC would remember that, but way off topic, down a rabbit hole. So we covered local, let's go into, I should say we covered county and commission, school board, that let's go into like state rep and state senate and just give a quick background for anybody outside of Tennessee. There's 33 Tennessee senators and I think 99 representatives. Mm-hmm. So you got it. Same questions for those races. Uh, Blunt County has two state representatives. I think one state senator, correct? We correct. have two districts in Blunt County. We have two districts and one Senate district in Blunt County. So state rep, state Senate, is there much of a difference in the cost? Oh yeah, massive. And something to keep in mind is similar to D.C. in that Nashville, the state reps are up every two years. So they're always running. And state senators are elected for four-year terms. 
so it's staggered, so half each cycle. And so this particular cycle, our state senator isn't up. He was just reelected in 2020. So he'll be on the ballot in 24. And so on this level, for fundraising platforms, you have to make sure that you can accept credit cards because you're going to be needing to raise $100,000, you know. So you're going to be taking credit cards, lots of checks, small amounts of cash, and then your campaign staff. On this level, you have to have a dedicated campaign manager. And oftentimes the state, the House and Senate caucuses to work alongside your campaign, they're going to require you to have a full-time campaign manager. Whether or not they're paid, you know, that's up to you and them. Although I would absolutely recommend it. If we're going to ask for a fair and living wage for people, we can't ask people to give that much time to a campaign without some kind of compensation. But you're going to have probably a paid campaign manager. You might have volunteer communications director and a scheduler. You're probably going to have someone to help coordinate your fundraising. And you definitely will have a volunteer coordinator because on this level, you're going to need, you're going to need probably seven to 10 core volunteers, people you count on all the time who have a lot of time. And then in the periphery, you're going to be using, again, as many as you can get, but 15 to 20 solid part-time volunteer folks who can help you on the weekends or whenever, you know, whenever they've got time available. And so that's what your campaign staff's going to look like. And with your meetings, it's going to be similar to what I've mentioned for local level offices, but your area of reach is going to be a little bigger. And obviously you're going to be talking about different issues. So you're, you're going to have bigger events. You're going to spend a lot more. Right. You're going to have bigger events because you're raising bigger money. And then you'll be having people, you probably will have at least one person paid on your campaign, maybe more, who are phone banking and door knocking, all forms of canvassing, of course. And you can get volunteers to text. That's easy. I would not recommend paying people to text. I don't think it's a good return on investment when free volunteers are happy to do that because it's so fast and easy. And then, you know, again, on this level, to touch on all the topics we touched on for the local offices, your campaign materials, you're going to have a few more signs. Different you're sizes. You're probably going to be putting out. Yeah, you're going to have different sizes. You're going to have the standard size and you're going to have some big ones. You're probably going to have to send out mailers or postcards. You can get away with postcards, but you're going to be sending out tens of thousands of postcards. So you're going to have to allocate a lot more money toward this. And so it might actually be cheaper to meet with a printing and mailing service to do this. Because if you're going to blanket the district, you're looking at instead of trying to hit a couple of thousand people, you're going to be reaching tens of thousands of folks. And you're definitely going to need door hangers, which they're fairly inexpensive these days. And I will I will amend my comment earlier that even the local level offices should probably consider door hangers. So if you're canvassing and someone is at home, you can leave something behind because they have gotten significantly cheaper in the past few years. But state level, you're going to have to have those because you're going to be knocking so many doors and you need to make sure people have that name recognition. Well, while we're while we're on the subject of the state reps, do we have those dates for because they have the state level rep and the Senate districts that are up for election in Tennessee, and obviously we also have a governor's race coming up. Those primaries are in August, so the dates to pull the petitions are different than what we told you in part one for state Correct. rep, state Senate, and governor race, as well as the federal, the congressional district. We do not have any senators running 
this time. Unfortunately, we can't get rid of Marsha Blackburn just yet. We can't vote her out just yet. Two more years. Crossing so my the fingers. date the date on this one is August the 4th. And this August the 4th election, it will be the county general. So all of those county commission offices and it will be the state and federal primary. So that's why the ballot's a little bit bigger when you'll go in in August. The first day to pick up the petition, if you're interested in running in one of those offices, will be February the 7th. So that's, what, three weeks from now? Yeah. And those will be due back by April the 7th at noon. So you have to turn in your candidate qualifying petition by April the 7th at noon. Again, those lo- the local general in August the 4th will be the county commission. It will also be the uh, city of Friendsville commission and the city of Townsend commission. And then for the state and federal primary, it will be the primary for the governor, uh, the U.S. House, you know, which is always every two years, the Tennessee State House, which is also every two years. And it will also be the uh, Alcoa City School Board and Maryville City School Board primaries, since we in Blount County now have have partisan school board races, those city school boards will have to have primaries now too. Great. Not great. That was sarcasm. So let's move on to federal real quick in in case anybody gets any ambitions to run for U.S. Congress or U.S. Senate. I think in part one, we mentioned base starting of $250,000. Yeah, that would be to run a terrible campaign. Well, no, not, that's not fair. Well, no, because Renee Hoyos did it with three three thirty, and she ran a great campaign. Yeah, to, she did actually. Any more? <laughs> yes, she did. I guess probably the least, the absolute least you could do to get people to pay any attention would be a hundred grand. But the reality is, you're probably gonna be looking closer to half a million dollars. So you're you're definitely to gonna really have more. Up. So you'll have more pay, paid campaign staff, and you'll also probably have a campaign headquarters. So you'll have to be running or leasing office space for that as well. Right. Approximately. And it it holds fairly true across all business sectors as well, but approximately 70% of the funds the campaign raises are going to be dumped back into staff salaries to keep the campaign machine moving. And that you did just make a really good point. It's something we hadn't mentioned. On these local levels, so that's like the municipal races, like council, city councils and commissions and the county commission, you know, those races, you're not going to have a headquarters you're going to probably work alongside the the county Democratic Party or Republican Party for that matter, but you're going to work alongside the county party in their office or, or whatever they're doing or using for an office. But on these federal races, and even on the state level too, if yeah. you're running for state Senate and state house, you're going to work with the local county party. But on these federal races, more than likely you're going to need to have a physical space of your own because you're going to have so much more traffic and people and you would kind of bog down a county party office. In terms of fundraising, you know, if you're if you're running a federal race, you're going to have to be using NGP van. You're going to have to have more robust software. Your campaign staff, you're going to have anywhere from 10 to 10 to 50 people. Your pl- uh, meeting planning and your meet and greet events, you'll have a dedicated and probably a paid person organizing this. And you're more than likely going to have one of your volunteers driving you around because you're going to be on the phone while they're driving you from thing to thing to thing. Your volunteer network, you're going to have hundreds of volunteers 
these people are going to be out doing all of your canvassing. So door knocking, mm. phone banking, texting, you'll have paid people and predominantly folks who are volunteering their time. And then your campaign materials on this, lots and lots of signs. If it's federal, for example, like if you were running for U.S. Congressional District 2, that spans, I can't remember, is it like five counties? So you're going to have thousands of signs. You're going to have to send out mailers because you've got, what is it, 180,000 constituents. Mailers are the only way you're ever going to reach some of these people because it would just be almost impossible to get out into some of the hinterlands around here to meet everyone. Door hangers will be critical because you may not have enough people or time geogra to geographically hit a house more than once. So leaving behind a door hanger, that may be the only physical contact that you have enough capacity to do which it may be a little different than a smaller race. On the, those federal races, it just takes a lot of person power and a lot of money. It takes a small army. Yeah. Or a large army. <laughs> well, both. Both. If we missed anything, we will post another episode of Things That We Missed, and it'll just be called Things That We Missed or Forgot to Mention. And you can always email us with any questions. And that's amynathanpodcast at gmail.com. And after the break, it will be Nathan's favorite time. Rant, 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 rant time. And we're going to be talking about gerrymandering. Warning, I'm probably going to cuss a lot more than I've ever cussed on this podcast. So, gerrymandering. After the each U.S. census, the state legislatures redraw district maps, and they're supposed to do it based on population shifts and all of that. And that's definitely not what the Republican supermajority here in Tennessee is doing. It's basically, it's cheating. It's picking your voters. Rather than the voters picking their representatives, it's the representatives picking, or the elected officials picking the voters. And in the U.S. Senate, you hear talking about the voting rights bills, and the one is the Freedom to Vote Act. And one of the things it does is it sets up very important metrics for how to measure if something has been gerrymandered. The metrics they use is if the state legislature or the districts are more than 7% leaning towards a certain political party. Couldn't throw out a lot of numbers, I'm sorry. And in using that, they gauge that 7% against the popular vote won by the last two presidential elections and the last two Senate races in the state. The last two Senate races in the state were Haggerty versus Bradshaw in 2020 and Marsha Blackburn versus Phil Bredesen in 2018. Phil Bredesen got 44% of the vote as the minority party and Bradshaw got in the 30%. I don't know the exact number, but I think it was less than 35%. Joe Biden got 37%, and I know Hillary Clinton got more than 30%, but definitely less than Biden. So you add all those together, you should have about 35 to 37% of the districts in the state of Tennessee leaning heavily Democratic. We have two out of our nine U.S. congressional districts are Democrats. Two out of nine is less than 36%. State Senate, what do we have in State Senate, Nathan? They could fill a nice minivan. There are six. Six out of 33 seats. So that's less than 20%. And I know the House of the Tennessee House of Representatives, it's 26 Democrats out of 99 seats. So that's 26%. So we are, the Tennessee government is underrepresented with the Democratic leaning or the Democratic voters. So that means the Republican supermajority is redrawing our maps 
in Tennessee to make it even more heavily favor to them. Like they are cementing a one-party dictatorial authoritarian state. So when you hear people on the national news wailing and gnashing their teeth about, oh, the U.S. is heading towards a, a one-party nation and all that, Tennessee is its ca case study and has been for at least the last decade or two. So if you want to see how the rest of the nation is going to go with a Republican locking in, just look at Tennessee. And it just pisses me off because they know they can't win on ideas, so they cheat. They cheat, cheat, cheat. And even when they have a majority in the district, like the district that we're in for Blount County for the Tennessee Senate, they've changed it, even though it's already heavily Republican, because we've one of the cities in Blount County, Maryville City, did elect a Democratic woman. In, it's a nonpartisan race, but they elected a Democratic woman to city council. And there's also now one Democrat on the Blount County Commission. One out of 21. Commission? One out of 21 got on there, where it used to just be all Republican. So, oh no, they got one person on the county commission and one person on the city council. We got to change the borders. So how are they how are they changing the borders again? I forget. Remind me. So it used to be that Blunt County was all of Blunt County and part of Sevier County. And now it's going to be all of Blunt County going south to Monroe County, Polk County, and part of a county near Chattanooga. So it goes from just south of Knoxville all the way to the Georgia border. It's absurd. So it goes from kind of like, I don't want to say because parts of Blount County are very rural and there's some small towns, areas. So it's like very suburban and rural. And then it's going from suburban and rural to suburban rural to very rural and very red. So it, you're saying it was looking like we might be able to flip Blount County State Senate possibly blue in a couple of years, you said, with a lot of groundwork. Now what? You're saying it's going to take at least another 20 with this Probably. changing? And to point on your thing, Amy, like now State Senate District 2 from Blount County down will have gone from a compact district that you could have driven across, you know, from end to end and 45, 50 minutes. Now it's going to be about 120 miles long, half the state down. It's going to cost you a lot more money to run a campaign to to win the seat. If you're the opposing party, if you're a Democrat, it's going to cost you a lot more money. Right. And to your seat. point, the one Senate seat that we could possibly pick up is out in the Memphis area. And uh, Ruby Powell Dennis is running for it. She ran for state house back in 2020, but she's running again for this. It would uh, running against state Senator Brian. And Kelsey, was, Kel, excuse me, Kelsey, I believe is his name. You know, he's got charges against him right now. Not that that means anything to voters. And all this cheating and Tom fuckery, it can get really, really, really demoralizing because that's that's the point of voter suppression tactics, which I hate the use of that word. I'm going to do a Carlinism. Voter suppression tactics. It just, it doesn't have the same punch as what it really is, which is, again, cheating it's cheating and like i said going back it it can be very demoralizing and it can make you feel like you you want to give up like what's the point why should i keep donating to democrats why should we keep trying to get democrats on the ballot etc and the point is you have to keep fighting their point is they want to just make you so miserable that you give up that you give up power to them and we can't do that there's too much at stake there's there's a whole community at stake it it does remind me a lot of i'm learning more and more than i did in high school about the civil rights movement because they really glossed that over and we're not going to go into that because that is a subject that is that has gone over by other podcasts other people much better than than i ever could but 
we're talking decades upon decades of struggle to earn the right. I don't want to say earn the right, win the right to exercise their constitutional right to vote. Decades of work, decades of brutality, decades of underhanded tactics. And it's hard. It is hard not to give up, but we can't. Nope, you can't. And that's something I've learned from years of activism now is that you just can't give up. It's something I was just telling some people the other day. You know, we've got a busy year ahead of us and so many people want to be the lone wolf and do all this activism or even try to be a savior in this. And I'm like, you've got to work with other people because there's this little saying I, I really like and I keep repeating it to myself lately. And it's that a drowning lifeguard is a victim not a savior. And you've got to remember that and all this work that's coming ahead this year when you see all this voter suppression tactics, the gerrymandering, the limitations of voting rights, is that we all have to work together. And it's so easy to want to lash out at people, but you have to make sure that you're actually being gracious and kind to the people who are fighting for the same things that you are. Otherwise, you've just played into the infighting that we're being built up to do. So take care of people have to take care of themselves while we're doing this fight because it's so long, it's arduous. And like you mentioned, something I said, you know, to take over the state Senate or the House, and this isn't something that's going to happen this election. You know, it'll take four or five more elections to see changes in the composition of the state legislature. And sometimes it can be disheartening when you see people representing your values on a different level of government or in a different geographical area. But that doesn't mean you have to go move to them. You just have to keep working toward getting the changes here. And to your point again, people get so up in arms around here. And we have uh, Jackie, who's on county commission, who is who ran as a Democrat since it is a partisan race. She was elected one out of 21. Sarah, who's on Maryville City Council. We have Tanya Martin, who's on Alcoa City Commission, oh, and Vandy sorry. Kemp, who is on Blunt County School Board. We have four people out of nearly a hundred offices. So four, we're at like four percent. And you know, they act like we're trying to take over the world. I'm like, y'all, we don't even really have a seat at the table. And everybody's supposed to have a voice in the government, a voice, not be the voice. It's supposed to be a collective of different parties, different viewpoints coming together and working out compromise for the whole community. They're representative of the people in the community. That's what it means by representative government. And all these voter suppression tactics, gerrymandering, there I use the euphemisms again, the cheating to cement one party's political power is detrimental to our society, our community, our government. It's un-American. Well, the big thing, you know, back to the point you mentioned about representation is, you know, we have 4% of the offices roughly in Blank County. However, Democrats vote at somewhere between 32 to 35% in Blank County. So we're woefully misrepresented in local government and definitely in state government. It just, and I hate to say fair because fair sounds silly to say, but it's functional. It, then it's dysfunctional. Absolutely dysfunctional. 
we have a dysfunctional government because we have inadequate representation. Inadequate. How about that? Inadequate, unequal. Unequal to the actual percentages of voting of the population. And and again, that can be very disheartening when you just look at the data and you think, why should I even bother to vote or why should I even bother to run? And that's exactly why you should bother to vote or to run because they don't want you to. That's another age-old American tradition. Rebellion. That whole punk rock, fuck you, I'm going to do it anyway. If that's what if that's what can motivate you to to get out there and vote and run for office, then then use that to motivate you. But also remember, you can burn out quickly on anger. So also remember, that's why going back to that, what you said about building that community. Remember, you're in community with others and you need the drowning lifeguard is a victim, not a savior. That's partly why you have to do it together. It is a community movement. You have more power when you work together, but also you have that support network for when you're feeling down and you get that reinvigoration. And to get reinvigorated, you've got to get engaged with campaigns, be it volunteering, donating both, or running yourself. And that's how you keep the movement going. So thanks for listening to our rant today. We'll be back with more episodes. Mm -hmm. 